Welcome to the Trinity Ability Co-op podcast. This episode is called Disability and the Violence Against Women. This is part one of a three-part series. This is a content warning as this topic may be difficult to listen to. Listener's discretion is advised. If you are in need of support against violence, we have a list of contacts for further supports. Hi, I'm Lorna Brown, and this week's episode is about um, violence against women in the wake of Ashton Murphy's murder. Uh, for those who may not have known or want to re- refresher, uh, Ashton Murphy was a 23-year-old primary school teacher who was killed while she was on a run, and this has this issue has brought up a lot of the issues around violence against women. And today we're here to talk, um, today here to talk is Aoife. Um, Aoife, would you mind giving me a, a, bit, a little bit of background about yourself? Absolutely. Thank you so much, Lorna, and thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Um, my name is Aoife, as you say, and I'm a research assistant in sexual consent education and sexual violence prevention um, in Trinity. So it's kind of a really long-winded title, but I guess how I got into this was when I was in my undergraduate in Trinity, um, I took part in consent workshops in their very first year. And then after that, um, had a real interest in the area. Um, I was studying law, so it was kind of not really related, but also quite related, I guess. And started facilitating and organizing the workshops in my second year and, since then, throughout my undergraduate, kind of worked away at them and have been now working for almost a year and a half, nearly two years in Trinity in the area of sexual consent education. So kind of creating programs, but then also sexual violence prevention. So things around policy and cultural change. Um, so, yeah, that's me. <laughs> and I'm also 23. And that's I think the Ashley Murphy, the murder of Ashley Murphy really stuck out to me for that reason and that we were the exact same age. Um, and it feels like such a tragic, unnecessary loss, you know, and I think that it's really brought conversations that have been going on for a while, I think, in the background, kind of to the forefront, which is really good, but obviously should not have happened. Yeah, like I remember when it was first um, announced that she died, I remember sitting there and actually looking at TV really crying because I was thinking, how did this happen? Like, there shouldn't be, she should be here. And for also, we want to say as well, on behalf of Trinity and the co-op, we want to send our condolences to her family and her boyfriend and her her friends and all the students because it's a great loss that they'll have to deal with in the next few years and forever. Um, but that's actually what I wanted to talk to you about. Um, now I remember the Monday after her um after her murder. I remember sitting in the library trying to do a bit of work and a song came on and it was by Taylor Swift um called Mad, Mad Woman. Was I know her. it well. Yeah. I love Taylor Swift. Yeah. Honestly, this woman should realistically, this woman should have a PhD. Don't understand, but 
that's another oh, podcast episode. After, well, I believe that she is the greatest storyteller of our generation. But anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's another podcast, yes. podcast episode for another day. Uh, but I remember sitting there and then all of a sudden everything just it was like everything just stopped. Um so and I remember just thinking, wow. So I was hoping, if you don't mind, if maybe we could break down some of the parts of the song that really Sounds good, resonates yeah. with. So it starts off by saying, what do you think, what do you think I'd say, say to that? Does a scorpion sting when fighting back? They strike to kill and you know I will. You know I will. What do you say, sing on your drive home? Does does she smile? Do you see my face in your neighbor's lawn? Does she smile or does she mouth you forever? And uh, sorry, every time you call me crazy, I get more crazy. What do you think about that? And when and when you say I seem angry, I get more angry. And I was looking looking at this, and I was thinking about how the gaslighting that happens when, like, when women bring up issues around violence against women, and there it's all there's always this backlash of like, oh, we stop, it's not that bad, and like, you know yourself the, the like the jokes around violence and SA. Mm-hmm. So, what would you kind of say, even with the impact of like this kind of like it's almost like a norm, like, yeah. like the violence against them is like it's a norm? Completely. I think it's such a great point, and I think you've expressed it so well because I think that there's a few facets to it. I think, firstly, there is a general lack of belief around the experiences of women, so people do not believe. The women in their lives and the non-binary people in their lives um, and the trans people in their lives when they say that they are constantly constantly at risk of sexual violence and constantly constantly victims and it doesn't it feels like an exaggeration so it's it's there's there's a disbelief there because they cannot comprehend it and the reason i think that they cannot comprehend it it goes back to rape culture so Rape culture, I mean, it's kind of, it's a word that's thrown around, but it's actually a really interesting concept. And it's the concept that like the society we live within normalizes and accepts sexual assault. So if sexual assault is normalized and accepted, then for us to speak out against it is a rebellion against the norm. So for us, it's just a speaking our truth, but for other people who don't exist within a truthful reality that they could be victims of sexual violence at any point, it's a rallying against normality, which is always really difficult. So it's it's not only having to tell our stories, which is really traumatizing, like it is traumatizing in and of itself to recount trauma, but then to force, to try and get people to believe you who do not want to believe you. Um, so I think there's there's so many layers to it. And I also think it's really important to like recognize how none of, the actions exist in a like a vacuum 
um because an, an argument that's often brought up is like well it's not all men and it's it doesn't it it just doesn't happen that often and but the fact of the matter is is that anyone who is condoling cond cond accepting any kind of behavior that is in any way connected to sexual assault therefore it permits rape to occur there's a direct correlation there so if we're in a society that allows for rape jokes and allows for homophobic jokes and allows for sexism in the workplace there's a direct correlation between that and people getting assaulted and femicide and I think that we really have to step up to the mark and recognize that like even if it's not all men who are committing rape then is their behavior allowing others to do so is that what's happening because they're playing a part in some way yeah and I also think of the fact, like, I was looking at this and where she says that does a scorpion sting, um, does a scorpion, yeah, does a scorpion skin when fighting back? You're kind of looking, I looked at this, at the fact, you know, um, there's a photo going around, um, it was the weeks after Everard died, um, and it was like a one, they were doing a peaceful protest yes. about the same, yes. with the same issues. There was um, a photo of a woman basically being um, won't be tackled to the ground by police. Yeah, and I remember just thinking, it's like, it's exactly what this, yeah, this line is. It's like, what do you expect from, like, for constantly being oppressed? It's like, no, it's not happening. Like, you're you're just making them making a mountain over molehill. What do you do? Exactly. It's going to go somewhere and it's going to, there's, I think that something that really struck out to me after the, the murder of Ashton Murphy and Sarah Everard was how sad and so sad for her family and so sad for everyone who loved her, but how excuse my language, fucking unnecessary it was and how unnecessary and how could you not be angry? Like, how can we not be angry? How could we not be angry when this is just like another instance of preventable violence? Like the only normal reaction is anger. I think that's that's such a good point where it's like, where do you expect it to go? What do you expect to happen if we keep telling our truth and no one is believing us? Because I don't know about you, but sometimes it feels like you're banging your head up against a brick wall. Like, <laughs> Absolutely. At some stage, what's going to happen? Your head's going to just, it's going to yeah. be a crack in your skull. And what do you do? I know. It's, I know. It's I very disheartening, be, but it, yeah. it, I'm hopeful that things are changing. I am hopeful. Yeah. Um, I don't think I could work in this area if I didn't see that hope. Um, yeah. But whenever there is an, an instance like that, it's really, I think it's really important to just like, reflect yeah. on the unnecessariness of it like yeah. this didn't have to happen yeah you know and like yeah like I think even like I'm the same with you like I uh, work in the early years so like it kind of gives that the incentive like it this is the prime the earlier the, the prime yeah. age of you know teaching young boys how to like how to actually treat mm -hmm. girls Absolutely. and like you know this whole you know how they have the whole like, yard kind of but not some bullying but like you know the perception of you know if a boy is mean to you then it must mean you like they like but you. boys will be boys you yeah. know yeah exactly 
you know, it's no, it's it's and I think that you make such a good point around early childhood education, because if we don't think it's starting there, then we're not looking closely enough at the problem like that is where these kind of behaviors that permit other behaviors later in life. That's where they begin, you know? Yeah. And permission is gotten then. Yeah, I think like I don't want to be kind of like you know to my own horns or specs, but like this is where I kind of think there needs more investment in the likes of the early years because if in this sort of issue, what's happened is if you put more investment in the early years, like it gives more resources to actually help defeat the issue of preventative. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Yeah, because I mean a lot of my work is focused on higher education. Um, just because kind of that's where I found myself in it but again and again the research shows that higher education is too late secondary school is oftentimes even too late you know if we're having conversations around consent and behaviors and interpersonal relations with other people and especially the gendered aspect of that and especially around disabled people and there's these conversations have to start as soon as they start interacting with people, that's the right age, you know? Yeah. And like, also, what would you think, like, the effects of gaslighting for, like, young young girls is, is for them? Because, like, I, I kind of remember even growing up that if someone says to me, like, you're over-exaggerating, it's always, it's nearly defeat. I always felt defeated. Completely. Because it's, you never especially with children I, I you're the expert here but I think children there's a presumption that they will be believed so children have a presumption that if they say if something happens to them they tell someone they're going to be believed but as soon as women start recounting their experiences or young girls start recounting their experiences around this and they're told oh that means he likes you or they're told a cop on boys be boys or grow up a wee bit or that's that is when we start to doubt ourselves and that is when we start to begin to accept a place within society that is listened to less and heard less um and I think that if if this didn't take place could you imagine how much more self-esteem women would have imagine how much safer they would feel how much like it would be such a societal change if we just started listening to what young girls are telling us you know yeah like I always kind of think like I I fear for like you know that's what's fear but like you know how families experience domestic violence and then if they're bringing it into they bring it into our society you know as well even with the pandemic it's going to be the vicious cycles get more vicious it's not even like the cycles continue to go around but it's become more vicious Absolutely. And I think that intimate partner violence, domestic violence, but I think that the issues there, so much of it, I hopefully can be resolved with long term, can be resolved with education and prevention. Um, there's not enough supports for um, intimate partner violence in Ireland. I mean, there's not this. I'm pretty sure that there's the same amount of money given to greyhound racing in Ireland than there is to women's refuge by the government. Um, which is a terrifying concept and I think that we cannot disconnect that from a cause so we can't say that that oh that's not relevant that resourcing isn't relevant that we just need to like teach our people better that's not it like 
if everyone is paying attention to this, something I think about all the time whenever I'm doing my work is that if everyone is paying attention to this, no one would be able to function. Everyone would be so angry. Like if everyone actually faced up to the issue of gender-based violence and like if we all just accept, like looked at that head on, no one would be able to keep functioning because it's so bad. It's everywhere. It's hyper prevalent everywhere in society. Like, do you think there's like emotional awareness of like, you know, the issues of um of like violence against women? Like, for example, like for me, I I've started giving my brother my location anywhere I'm going because mm-hmm. I'm just thinking of, like heaven forbid if I'm traveling to Trinity, for example. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm going to be attacked or I'm going to yeah. be, if there's going to be, what's going to happen on my home. So I'm kind of thinking, like, I remember when I first initially said to him, like, I was fully prepared to have, like, a full-blown argument of, like, just do it because just yeah. a part of rights. No, I mean, there's not, I don't, what do you think, like, the in terms of men and boys nowadays, they're, do you think there's like some sort of like understanding? Of- I do, I do, I re- I, I truly do, and I think I see it more and more every year that I give consent workshops to first years. I do think the tide is turning, and I'm really hopeful that it is. Um, I think that we all, everyone, starts just needing to listening to people's experiences, you know, um, and truly asking questions, truly in every aspect of our life checking in with the women and vulnerable people around us because in reality they're probably scared some a lot of the time and I think you giving your location is such a good example of the things that we try to do to help ourselves even though we know that realistically there's not actually that much we can do on a personal level um and it can only come from other people protecting each other that's the only thing way things will change but i think women have been trying their best and non-binary people and trans people again all gender minorities that are not cis men have been trying for so long and i think that there's a realization now that this has been happening for a really long time i think that is coming in young men and boys um and the more conversations i have with it I would say that if you if you are listening to this podcast and you are a woman and you haven't had a conversation, a genuine conversation with the male people around you about your experiences, I think it would be really worthwhile doing so if you can, because they probably don't know. Yeah. And actually, that's that's something like really um, what you were saying there about like having a conversation. Like that's something like I pray uh, to God. Like I remember I'm praying to God that asking that for said like some of my uncles actually have conversations with their boys of mm. saying, you know, what do you think about this? Yeah. Like it's I think personally it's all yes, it's so like it's good to have that conversation with parents, whether you're a man or a woman with your children, but coming from a man perspective, yeah, and understanding that like no, this is wrong. Like I would pray to God that like family members have actually spoken to their absolutely. And I think it is, especially if men uh, do know, then it's on men to educate. It's it's been on women and every it's been on us for so long. 
Um, and there is, I think it's a really interesting argument on the argument of like the, the cis male role in removal of rape culture, because realistically, if again, they actually looked at the problem, they would realize the source is the patriarchy and the source is yeah. masculinity. And I guess that I am probably of like the maybe a little bit controversial opinion that like, if we can help them get there, we should. But I know that that's kind of, I mean, that is controversial. But um, I think that, as you say, if we encourage the men in our lives to have conversations with the men in their lives and say, actually, this is happening to all of the people that we love all of the time and they're constantly scared. Like, just it's just a constant state of hyper-awareness that we go into every time we leave our house and oftentimes for a lot of women every time they're inside their house or every time they're with their intimate partners you know think as well like you're like the thing with violence against women is like you don't know who who it can affect oh it can I mean, affect you don't know the experiences of any woman anyone anyone and i think that something that's really important to think about is how um risk factors for sexual violence compound so risk factors for sexual violence are things like being a woman or being trans or being from a, a minority social class or being from an ethnic minority or being disabled. And if you fulfill one of these criteria, you're more likely to be at risk of sexual violence. But if these compound, so if you are um, a disabled trans woman, the risk gets higher and higher because you become more and more isolated from society or you are like society isolated because of you know society um sorry i said that really badly but basically risk compounds and i think that if we focus in on that and start risking that the most vulnerable members of our society are those who are most vulnerable to sexual violence that would really focus energy and resources i think you know yeah like i've um i'm a friend um a girl i went to college with um like her boyfriend's really really good do you know what i mean like you can Re, like I pray to God that if they're a girl in trouble that he would be there because he's the type of person that like he wouldn't be a, fans, uh, a bystander yes like but like I remember we were going we were on a night out and I was trying to fix my bag or something and he stayed with me but yeah. at the same time I remember I was hyper vigilant now, there's, of course I'm not saying that like you know you can you wouldn't hurt a fly but we're but, always hyper vigilant it's our normal it's our nor it's a learned behavior and we've learned it from experience you know like like I remember like I know for a fact that this guy won't go near me no absolutely but at the same time it's like that this whole it's like it's you know say, yeah it's like you know nature versus nurture yeah it's a bit about but I think that's one, so true yeah once it comes like I, I well believe that women now, like women in general, they come with a switch that like, as soon as they're born, they realize the hypervigilance is switched on. Oh, and it's because, it's because I think it's a really interesting point, nature versus nurture. I think it's such a learned behavior. We didn't pick it off the ground. You know, we saw it, we learned it when, with our friends when we were in primary school and from our mothers and aunties and we do this behavior because we know that we are just always at a higher risk and I think that the emotional the emotional labor of that 
like the actual amount of emotional work that that takes can't be underestimated it's it's so much harder for us to relax yeah I think as well even like on nights out can you imagine like where we're always kind of watching everything where it's like mm-hmm. you're kind of, of course. I was thinking about this while we were kind of planning this episode and I was thinking to myself what I'd love to see happening say if in the next maybe 50 years if like someone created like contact lenses or glasses that could tell you when who's good and who's bad I know like yeah that's so sad (laughs) (laughs) oh no but I agree because it would make life so much easier obviously it would let me do less work for us um yeah yeah I know I I really actually noticed after the not after the pandemic we're still in a pandemic but something (laughs) that I really noticed kind of when we started phasing back into life was obviously during the pandemic you have you have this really small amount of people you can spend your time with so you're not really interacting with like people you don't know on a daily basis per se so you know you'd be I would be spending most of my time with like my friends and my boyfriend and people who I know and then as we started like more of a return to society and I was like walking at night or like going to the bus or like going to the pub or something I started to realize that I hadn't felt unsafe in a physical situation in a really long time because I hadn't been around potential dangers in a really long time and I I realized how scary it can be and I was like oh this is so strange because I hadn't realized I had stopped doing it but now that I have to do it again I'm just like oh my gosh it's it's so much you Mm -hmm. know yeah yeah um also I want to uh come back bring back to the to mad mad woman yes oh um, everything sorry. back to taylor of course yeah, uh, yeah. queen <laughs> the queen of course so uh the next part i was looking at was it says uh, and there's nothing like a mad woman what a shame she went mad no one likes a mad woman you made her like that and you'll poke that bear till the claws come come out and you find something to wrap your noose around and there's nothing like a mad woman now you breathe flames each time i talk my cans all firing and at your yacht they say move on but you know i won't and women like hunting wishes to doing your dirtiest work for you it's obvious that wanting me dead has really brought you two together. I, this was the part of the song where I really got taken back. And you know, when you sit, you just sit there and you're thinking, oh, yeah, this, this is what. So I kind of looked at this in the sense of victim blaming. So I, um, now first I'm going to say this, I do not know what are, like, these are true I it's just what I've heard from like online but what I heard was that people were saying that the because Ashlyn Murphy's killer was from Slovakia and not from Ireland Slovakia not from Ireland this is not an Irish issue yeah I think that's so reductive um I I don't I think that it's 
I mean, the person who has been arrested, we don't, that trial hasn't even taken place, firstly. Um, and I think that the easy option for us as Irish people is to say, this is not an Irish problem. Like, that's so easy, isn't it? It's so easy yeah. for us to, to not look inward and yeah. see the problem in ourselves. Um, and I, it's obviously racist, like, you know. Yeah. Um, but apart from anything else, it's racist. But I think that, I think it's a knee-jerk reaction because people don't want to face reality. Re in reality, nine out of 10 um, victims of femicide are killed by their intimate partners. That's the reality. It's not by strangers on the street. And it's in reality, the problem of sexual violence exists as much Ireland as it does anywhere else. And really, we don't even know if it's more because we've been so bad at taking records of it in Ireland because it's not something we could face up to for a really long time. Um, and I think that I'm hopeful that we are on the crest of a wave around um, kind of facing up to the problem of gender-based violence in Ireland. Um, but I think that that was, that was, that kind of language was really, or like those kind of statements were really indicative of the work that has to be done. Yeah. Like, as I say, we don't, we don't know for certain what, like, whether they, like these statements are true. It's just yes. things that yeah, we've yeah, yeah. heard online. Yeah. But also the fact, like, you know, when they say that, like with even victim blaming that, you know, it's, well, what, what was she wearing? What was she drinking? Where, like, what was she doing? On the time of when she was attacked well that is inherently connected to a belief that if a woman behaves badly she was looking for trouble do you know like if i i anyone who is out in the club wearing tiny clothing which is what i love to do by the way um that is that doesn't make me less worthy of existence than somebody who is not doing that. And as soon as we start quantifying people's right to exist or right to exist safely, that's when our true colors start coming out around how we actually feel about women, mm. you know? Yeah, like as well, do you, I was just thinking there, do you think that like uh, the, Catholic, the Catholic church has an element of like this? Because if you think about the likes of, Oh, if women, if women, Fallen got pregnant. women and Magdalene's and um, the behavior that we wanted out of women and the kind of women that we wanted. And that is so in, I know that people, we, they say that we're a more secular society now, but 90% of our primary schools are Catholic. And there is inherent, I mean, a part, an inherent part of Catholicism is the concept of women being sinful. And you cannot, the glass mountain laundry closed in the 1990s in Ireland. Um, so we can't remove that from our perspectives. Like we can't say, oh, that was so long ago. That's not relevant anymore. Absolutely not. Of course it is. Of course it is. Like as well, like I can't even think of the fact like we have moved on a lot from like course, where we yeah, were. Yeah, yeah. Like the introduction of not the introduction, but like when we repealed the Eighth Amendment, that was a big stand to for women. But at the same time, it's 
like if you think about that sort of era um of when it was being brought in it didn't re- it didn't take into the consideration of as you say with rape or like uh intimate intimate partner violence it doesn't the, the protection wasn't there for women no oh my god like, no and I think I was repeal I was at Dublin Castle actually when repeal was announced it was one of the best days ever um and I remember feeling so much joy and hope and mostly relief like so relieved because we just didn't know how it was going to go um and it felt like a real turning point and I think it was I think it really was a real turning point especially for the vocalization of what are generally considered to be women's problems which is a generalization obviously but I think that since repeal we've seen how much even when we feel like the work is done we still have to keep doing the work like nine out of ten GPs in Ireland I think are not currently offering abortion services in their practices so like the it's the work is done on paper and there's also no exclusionary zones outside of um, maternity hospitals the work is done on paper but on practice we always keep and I think that is it's kind of unfortunately a, a really good metaphor for life as a woman is that even when the work is done on paper we still have to keep pushing for it we still have to keep projecting our voices and we can't get complacent like it kind of as we kind of comes full circle in the sense of like with the gaslighting and like we haven't like every, t- every time we exactly yeah every time we try and say something we're just met with like just live with it you're being dramatic yeah exactly and have you you for appeal now are you not happy with that is that not enough for you Do you know like, <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> yeah you're kind of thinking well i kind of wish like I remember I seen something like a video um, online and like it was this woman putting this question is like would you be okay with everything that happened to black people happen to you yeah and she said like show your hands if you're be okay with it no I'm dead and you're kind of thinking it's the same analogy of with, with, with women yeah would absolutely you, would you be okay with having basically to be told like what what you can be done with your body of course no it's 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 an uphill battle but I'm also hopeful I am I'm really hopeful yeah. I mean the, the conversations that we're having today wouldn't have happened 15 20 years ago you know um and the narrative is changing and I think that things are getting better I'm hopeful anyway like I think as well, like seeing how many men turned up to the visual for Ashley yes. Murphy, that really, was really emotional. Yeah, yeah. Because like you don't necessarily think you don't you know how women will react, but you don't yes. know how many men will like will actually come out and say, yeah, what what can you do? Like yeah. kind of show their support. I Absolutely. Um, and going back to bringing it back to Taylor again. Um, so the next um lines are, I'm taking my time. I'm taking my time because you took everything from me. What new climb? What new climb over pe- people like me? A master of spin has a couple of sides. 
things. Good wives always know she should she should be mad. She should be screeching like me. See, see but no one likes a mad woman. What seems she she what seems she went mad. You made her like that. I was, I was actually having the, was talking to Courtney about this um in the while we're trying to pull this together and we were talking about how to work with the justice system of yes. because it comes um like I find it can be seen that any cases any cases where um men have been brought to court they've been they've, the courts have been very lenient oh yeah the with their sentencing like it's um I'm gobsmacked like I'm, I'm actually showing finding words I know as I'm speaking to you I know with how, it's so upsetting like you try and look at the the young girl before Christmas I think it was a new year was it just before new year's who got um attacked her, her and a friend got attacked yes the two lads were let out on a two hundred um, yeah. bail the silence really yeah it's yeah. just it's and i think that i i studied law um it's my background is in law and i think that the legal system is one of however many systems that do just perpetuate patriarchal systems so it's it's it is that of rape culture it is that of um acceptance and disbelief of women um you can bring up previous sexual conduct as evidence in a rape trial so you can say well she's had sex before um in a rape trial in ireland so yeah yeah it's a it's it's bad but I think that again, there's more recognition coming out about that now. Um, but it is one of, I think, the most, if you are a victim of gender-based violence, like it is so traumatizing to go through the court system. It's so re-traumatizing. Um, and I think that more trauma-informed approaches have to be applied here. And it's something that we're seeing in higher education right now is that trauma-informed approaches are being applied to kind of policies and procedures to take into account what trauma is and how it affects people. And I'm hopeful that that will start coming into the legal system very soon. But for right now, it's not good. It's yeah. not good. Like yeah. I looked at looked at the likes of the UK, like the, uh, what's his name? The police officer uh, yes. that was convicted for Sarah, Sarah Averard's yeah. uh, murder. He was convicted of life. He was sentenced yes. to life. And then when you look at the likes of over here, like life usually means like they get out of yeah like 15 years. There's a very big difference. Oh, oh. absolutely. You know, yeah. it's like I think the silence really says itself. Yeah, absolutely. But, like I think even like when you look at different countries, how to handle different cases it's different yeah and i think that it's not coming from nowhere you know um ireland the, we really the grip of catholicism can't be ignored there 
that we can't advance as much, we have been able to advance as much in the last 20 years as they have in other jurisdictions for that reason, you know? Um, but I also think that, I mean, the justice system in the UK is not good for victims of gender-based violence, you know? Um, the Sarah Everett case got a lot of publicity, but it's not, it's not really good anywhere. There's not a perfect system, I think, yet. And I think it's a lot of legal reform has to take place around that. I think as well, like, it, it does take time, but like we have to start from somewhere. Absolutely. Like we can't just like stay put where we are. Oh, we can't write it off. No, completely, absolutely not. I think as well with the fact that with what happened in Ashton, there was there's a, so much of a public outcry because you've you see it online how like people are really annoyed. Okay, so lastly, anyway, I just want to talk about how the um about I was kind of looking at the fact that like. If I was teaching for a day, what would I bring in? And I was thinking about maybe bringing in the likes of Ashton's Law. So I was thinking about bringing in the likes of, you know, not having bail if yeah. someone's attacked or having more strict... Um, Mandatory sentencing. Yeah. yeah. So there's so much that we could probably do in, say, certain areas. But what would you, let's see, say, for future, like, in the case of... um. I think yeah I think that I mean there's no kind of easy answer there I think that I mean for me it would be like a wider cultural change I would like that there's a lack of um I would say education to be honest with you like long term I would say an educational program that really speaks to rape culture that speaks to use of pornography as sex education that speaks to an acceptance of low-level acts of sexual violence and I guess if I had a if I could pick a dream in that area I would pick resourcing as regards to gender-based violence I would have so many more refuges and so many more educational programs a gender-based violence center in Ireland if you don't have anything like that um that would be my wish list yeah and I think I think it'll come I do yeah I'm hopeful Yeah. yeah And it was great talking to you about this. Such thing. a good conversation. Thank you so much, Lorna. I was delighted to be here. Thank you for listening to the Trinity Ability Co-op podcast. We will be back soon with episode two of the Tree Part series.